the word of the Lord briefly as we bring our week celebration to a climax. I want to thank the leadership of the church for giving me the opportunity to share the word of the Lord with us and I believe that God will speak to us and God will bless our hearts. Amen. This morning I want to speak on the believer's faithfulness towards God. The believer's faithfulness towards God. Shall we bow down our heads for a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the grace to be here and to listen to your word. We pray that you shall speak to our hearts. We pray that you shall bless our souls. We pray that may we live. We pray that may your grace abound unto us and may your hand work strong upon us even as we hear your word. We thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we have prayed with thanksgiving. Amen. Now our anchor scripture for the week celebration has been 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and the verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 2. Let's do New King James Version. It says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now, in every relationship, one key requirement that is expected of the parties in the relationship is the virtue of faithfulness. In any relationship, the topmost priority is faithfulness. Now, when we take a look at the marriage vows that is said during marriage ceremonies, the traditional marriage vow goes something like this. I, brother X, take you, sister Y, to be my wife or husband, to have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, until we are parted by death. Somebody is claiming it for herself. <laughs> this is usually how the typical marriage, uh, marriage vows go. Now, when we look at all of the statements that is made in the marriage vows, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, all of these statements are pointing to one truth. They are all drumming home one point. They are pointing to the requirement of faithfulness, to the requirement of commitment, to the requirement of loyalty in the marriage. They are pointing to the fact that no matter what happens in the marriage, whether for better, whether for worse, whether there's money, whether there's no money, whether in sickness, whether in health, it is pointing to the fact that you must be faithful in that marriage union. Hallelujah. So in the context of the union of marriage, the ultimate key, the ultimate requirement is the key of faithfulness to your spouse. Now, if you are sitting here this morning, you have to understand that you also are in a marriage union with the Lord. Hallelujah. You are also in a marriage relationship with the Lord. Many times Jesus said that he's the bridegroom and we are the bride. Hallelujah. So if he's the bridegroom and we are the bride, then we are in a marriage union with Jesus. Amen? When you look at Isaiah 54 and the verse 5, the Bible says something interesting there. Isaiah 54 verse 5. 
He says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. So we have a husband. And our husband is our maker. And our maker is called the Lord of hosts. So if you are sitting down here and you are created by the Lord of hosts, then you have a husband. So God is our husband. And we are God's wife or his bridegroom. Hallelujah. So you have to understand that you are also in a marriage union with the Lord. Now, in that marriage union also, the ultimate requirement, the ultimate key, the fundamental basis of that marriage union is faithfulness. Hallelujah. So the same way that faithfulness is spoken of in the natural marriage that we experience here and all the vows we make to each other is drumming home the point of faithfulness. In the same way, just as you are in a marriage union, and in a marriage relationship with the Lord, the primary thing, the main thing, the fundamental thing that is expected of you in that union is faithfulness. Hallelujah. Now, how do I know this? In Jeremiah chapter 3, there's an interesting story that the Lord tells us. Jeremiah chapter 3, from verse 6 to 11. Let's read from the NIV version. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 6. It says, During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce, and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart. But only in pretense declares the Lord. Verse 11. The Lord said to me, Faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. Faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. Now, in this verse, the Lord begins to recount his marriage union with Israel and with Judah. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 3, Israel had gotten to the point where they had declared that they no longer regarded God. They had declared that they no longer had faith in God. They had declared that they no longer wanted to have anything to do with the Lord. And so the marriage union that was between God and the children of Israel was cut off. In the verse 8, the Bible says that God said that, and so I gave Israel her certificate of divorce. So in Jeremiah chapter 3, Israel had reached the point where they said, look, we don't believe in this God again. We have found other gods that we want and that we prefer. And we have no dealings. We have no union. We have no communion again with the Lord. Now, her sister Judah saw everything that had happened between the Lord and Israel. And Judah decided that as for us, we will not divorce our Lord. We will stay in this marriage union. We will remain in it. But we will remain in it and be unfaithful. We will remain in it only with lip service. We will remain in the union only with pretense. But in our hearts and in our deeds, we'll be unfaithful in the union. That was the standpoint Judah took. And so the Lord now looked at both of them. The Lord looked at Israel 
and he looked at Judah and he said that Israel have declared their stance. They have decided that they no longer want a part in me. They have decided that they no longer have any faith in me. And I prefer that they have done that because this other fellow, this other Judah, who claims that they are in a union with me, who claims that we are in a marriage union and they have a relationship with me. They are in the relationship and they are in the union, but they are unfaithful in the union. And this was God's conclusion. When he saw the two, he said that faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. God was saying that faithless Israel was better than unfaithful Judah. God was saying that, look, I prefer the attitude of faithless Judah, or of faithless Israel, than unfaithful Judah. I prefer that you declare that you have gone away from me, than to still say that you are in this marriage union with me, and be unfaithful with me. God is saying, and God is speaking to us, that if you claim that you are in a marriage union with him, he prefers that you be faithful to him. There is no room for unfaithfulness in that marriage union. In fact, God is saying that the unbeliever out there, who has declared his stand, and he said that, look, I have no part, and I have no dealings, and I have no union with God. God is saying that that person is better than you who claims that you are a servant of the Lord and you are in a union with the Lord but you remain in that union and be unfaithful. Am I saying something at all? You see, that's why the Bible says that let your yes be yes and let your no be no. It's one of the reasons why the Lord had an issue with the church in Laodicea. He said that because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of the mouth, out of my mouth. You see, the church in Laodicea was where they were, they claimed that they were in a marriage union with the Lord, but they were not faithful to the Lord. And so the Lord said, look, you are hot, you are neither hot and you are neither cold. It's like you are in between. It's like today you are faithful, tomorrow you are unfaithful. And so I have decided that I'll spew you out of my mouth. Look, God does not have a place for unfaithful servants in this union. God does not have a place for unfaithful servants in this union. I pray that this morning may the Lord grant us grace to walk faithfully with Him. Hallelujah. Faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. Now, when you again look at the marriage vows, it's interesting what the ending says. It says, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And then he ends by saying, till death do us part. Till death do us part. In this union, faithfulness is required till death do us part. Hallelujah. In this marriage union that you have with the Lord, you are in it and you are expected to be faithful until death do you part. Until the final day where the Lord calls you home. The one thing that is required of you is faithfulness. Hallelujah. Now, it should show you how serious the issue or the matter of faithfulness is to the Lord. He's saying that I expect you to be committed. I expect you to be loyal. I expect you to be faithful. No matter what happens. No matter the storms that come. No matter the issues of life. No matter the disappointment. He's saying that I expect you to be faithful until death do us part. Let's look at Revelations chapter 2 and the verse 10. Revelations chapter 2 and the verse 10. It says that, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful even to the point of death. Of death. God is saying that in this union that we have with him, 
This is his expectation of us. Be faithful even to the point of death. Even to the point where the enemy has you by the throat. The Lord is saying that I expect nothing from you but faithfulness even to the point of death. I pray that this morning may God grant you grace to walk in faithfulness to the point of death. May God grant you grace to the point when the enemy says that deny God and or die. You will choose death over denying God. I pray that God will take you to the point uh, where you will be faithful to him. Uh, and like Job, you will attest that have you seen in all the earth, uh, there is none righteous like this fellow. I pray may we clothe, be clothed with the rope of faithfulness in the name of Jesus. God is calling us to faithfulness. God is calling us to faithfulness. Sometimes we think that God understands. But when I read the scripture, look, God doesn't understand though. And sometimes you are tempted to think, oh, ask for this one, God understands. But you see, God came to them and said, look, this is what is about to happen. Satan is coming after you. Satan is coming after you. You put some of you in prison. And he's saying that, I expect you to be faithful to the point of death. To the point of death. Some of us, when we get to the point of death, we think that at the point of death, unfaithfulness to the Lord is understandable. But it, that's not the case. You see, that's why the three Hebrew boys were highly exalted. That's why when God looked up from above, he said that, look, these guys have been faithful unto the point of death. I cannot sit here. You see, in the case of Stephen, is one thing the Lord stood up, but in the case of the three Hebrew boys, he said that, no, I must come down and I must be with them in the fire. The level of faithfulness they have demonstrated, they deserve that I come down from heaven and I stay with them in the fire. There's a point of faithfulness you work with God where God says that, mm, 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 this one, I must come down and I must, I must stay with the people. I must make my abode with them because the level of faithfulness they have demonstrated, it is to the point of death. May God take us to that level. May God take us to that level. Look, it's to the point of death that your faithfulness is tested. It is to the point of death that your faithfulness is, is most tested. You see, when John the Baptist was walking around and preaching and calling the brood of vipers, he wasn't arrested. When they arrested him, his faithfulness was tested. And he said, are you the one? Or perhaps I made a mistake. Yo, it's the point of death that your faithfulness is tested. When, when, when Jesus told his disciples that, look, my hour has come, they are about to capture me. Peter called him aside and said that, Look, if, if everybody denies you, me, I won't deny you. It's easy to profess faithfulness when you're not at the point of death. But when they captured Jesus and he began to see how they were maltreating Jesus, and other people began to point fingers at him, I said, look, you are also with the master. He said, no, no I, I never knew him. So it is to the point of death that your faithfulness is tested the most. And that is why the Lord tells us, be faithful even to the point of death. This morning, may grace come to us. May grace abound for us to be faithful to the point of this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, so faithfulness is required unto our dying moments. But you see, God is so gracious and God is so wise. God does not only expect faithfulness from us. But in this marriage union, God first promises us faithfulness. God first promises us that he will be faithful to us. Let's look at Joshua chapter 1 and the verse 5. Let's, let's use the New King James Version. 
Joshua chapter 1 and the verse 5. It says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. In this marriage union, this is God's promise to us. He says he will never leave us. He says he will never forsake us. He says he will be faithful to us. He says he will tarry with us. He says he will stand by our side. He says that when the storm shall come, he shall be, be with you. He says that you shall go through the storms and you shall go through the floods and you shall go through the fire and they shall not harm you. Why? Because he shall be with you. I, this morning, I came to tell you, if you are listening to the sound of my voice, that God promises you nothing but faithfulness in this union of marriage. He promises you nothing. Sometimes Satan will whisper to us and he said that where is God? Where is God? Where is God? But you see the songwriter said that he sees each tear that falls and he hears us when we call. Even when we are crying, even when we are weeping, even when it looks like all hell has broken loose, the Lord says that I am still faithful to you. You see that is why the scriptures say that when we remain faithless, he still remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Because God is embodied with faithfulness. That's why the songwriter said there is no shadow of turning in thee. You can be faithless but God will still remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. God is called faithful. God is called love. God is called truth. God is called a lot of things. And one of the things he's called is faithfulness. He promises you nothing but faithfulness. So when he sent the twelve apostles out, he says, Lo, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. He said, Lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. This morning, God is saying, I should tell you, he will be with you to the very end of the age. He will never leave thee. He will never forsake thee. He will never run away from thee. He will be with you to the very end of the age. One day, one day I had a vision. In the vision, I saw like there was a crowd just like this. And I saw that they were calling the crowd up. It was like a graduation ceremony. And they were calling the crowd up. And it's like those that had completed their course were being given a certificate. But in the vision, it appeared as if it was a ministerial call. It was, it was like they had gone to a Bible school and they had finished. And they were now calling them. And they were now handing them their certificate of ordination and their call into ministry. Now, in the crowd, I saw that Jesus was sitting at the back of the crowd. And I saw that every time one of them would be called to come up and they are giving the scroll and they are saying, okay, now we appoint you into the ministry. Immediately the person walks off. I see that Jesus walks from his seat and he follows them out. Then they'll call the next person. The next person will come and you, you take his scroll. And when he walks out, Jesus will get up and you follow him out. And I, I don't ask the Lord, what's the, what's the meaning of this vision? What does this mean? And the Lord said, I have just explained to you and I've just shown you in a vision what I told my disciples in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. When I said, on this journey that I have sent you, lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. He said that when the people walk out and I follow them, I am affirming verse 19 that lo, on this journey of ministry, I will be with you to the very end of age. Wherever you will go, wherever you will pass, so far as you are going in my name, I will be with you to the very end of the age. God is promising us nothing but faithfulness in this call. I will be with you to the very end of the age. So if you are here, I came to encourage you. Oh, if you are going anywhere in the name of the Lord, know that he will be with you. Know that he is following you. You may not see him, but he is following you. 
I will be with you to the very end of the age. May God grant us grace. Grace for faithfulness. Grace for faithfulness. Hallelujah. Now, you have to understand that because faithfulness is the key requirement in our marriage union with the Lord, it is also one of the areas that Satan attacks the most. In Satan's attack towards the saints, the area that he attacks the most is the area of faithfulness. So you see, when Satan entered into the Garden of Eden, he had only one agenda. He wanted Adam and Eve to break their faithfulness to the Lord. That was the only reason he entered the Garden of Eden. So when he entered, he saw Eve and he said that, did God indeed say that we should not eat of any of the, of the fruits in this garden? Eve said, no. He said, we can eat everything. But of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, we should not eat. And Satan said, it's not true. God knows that in the day that you shall eat it, your eyes shall be open and you shall be like him. And you'll be able to tell good from evil. And he encouraged Eve to eat the fruit. Immediately, Eve ate the fruit and gave some to Adam. And Adam also ate. That was it. He had achieved his purpose. They had broken faithfulness to the Lord. And that was the reason why he entered into the garden. I came to tell you that in Satan's fight against the saints, the thing he's looking for the most is to cause you to break your faithfulness to the Lord. So when, when, when the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to fast and to pray for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says that, and Satan visited Jesus in that wilderness, and he took him to a high mountain, and he said that, look down, you see all the treasures and all the estates of the world. He said that, if you will bow down to me, I shall give all of them to you. Do you know what he was trying to get Jesus to do? He was trying to get him to renounce faithfulness to the Lord and to pledge faithfulness to him, Satan. In Satan's attack against the church, he's after nothing but the believer's faithfulness to God. You see, and that's why the other day when God called Satan, he said that, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. Job said, is it not because you have put a hedge around him? And, and, and Satan said, is it not because you have put a hedge, a hedge around him? And he told God, said, remove the hedge and let me attack him and see if you will not break his faithfulness towards you and see if you will not break his allegiance to you. So when Satan comes and attacks us, you must bear this in mind that his ultimate aim, his ultimate purpose is to cause you to be unfaithful to God. Hallelujah. May God grant us grace. May God grant us grace. May God grant us grace. You see, and the reason why Satan is so jealous after the faithfulness of the believer is because he lost his place in heaven because of unfaithfulness. The reason why he was cast out of heaven was because he was unfaithful to his master. He gathered one third of the angels and he said that, look, we will fight against our master and we will overthrow him. So he gained his reputation and his status as Satan because of unfaithfulness. Now, because of unfaithfulness, he knows that his judgment has already been passed. He's been judged with eternal condemnation. And so he says that, look, if I lost my place because of unfaithfulness, and if I've been condemned to eternal damnation because of unfaithfulness, then my number one target against the saints will be to cause them to be unfaithful. Satan is after our faithfulness. Satan is after our faithfulness. The number one thing that Satan is jealous about when it comes to the believer it's his faithfulness to the Lord. I'll say it again. The number one thing that Satan is jealous about when it comes to the believer is his faithfulness to the Lord. This morning, 
God will help us to be faithful. God will help us to be faithful. The Bible says, for it is God that works in you, both will and to do of it. It's God that works in you. It is God that works in you. So it is God that will help us to be faithful. Hallelujah. Now, I'll briefly share with us five reasons to be faithful. Five reasons to be faithful. Reason number one, faithfulness ushers us into the joy of our Lord. Faithfulness ushers us into the joy of our Lord. Let's look at Matthew 25 and the verse 23. Matthew 25, verse 23. The Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, this verse talks about the parable of the talent. When the guy who had five talents and the one who had two talents worked, and they gained a double portion of their talents, when they came to the master, this was what the master said unto them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. And he said unto them, enter into the joy of your Lord. So what ushers us into the joy of our Lord is the key of faithfulness. Faithfulness is what ushers you into the joy of the Lord. Now, what is the joy of your Lord? Now, you remember that one day, Jesus said, uh, that God said concerning Jesus, He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I am well pleased. Now, when a fellow has entered into the joy of the Lord, he has a testimony and it is recorded in heaven as one in whom God is well pleased and one in whom God, in whom God loves. Hallelujah. The same testimony that Jesus received when God said, when God said that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, when a person enters into the joy of the Lord, that person holds a testimony, holds a record. It is recorded in heaven about him. The reputation in him in heaven is that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The thing that ushers you to set a reputation in heaven is the thing called faithfulness. Hallelujah. I pray that one day may we hear heaven say, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. One day, may you hear this word being spoken to you. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What pushes you into that joy of your Lord is the key of faithfulness. Hallelujah. Reason number two, why we must be faithful, you must be faithful, else on the last day, you will incur the master's wrath. You must be faithful, else on the last day, you incur the master's wrath. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24. And we'll read from verse 45 to 51. Matthew 24 from 45 to 51. It says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Now, the Lord begins to describe to us in this verse who qualifies to be a faithful and wise servant. He says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all things. But if the evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with the drunkards, 
the master of the servant will come on the day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him into two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and there shall be gnashing of teeth. Now this, this story tells us the end of an unfaithful servant. The Lord is saying that on that day when the master shall come, every unfaithful servant shall be cut into two and shall be appointed a portion with the hypocrites where there shall be weeping and there shall be gnashing of teeth. Look, you must be faithful to the Lord because on that last day, unfaithful servants will be sorry. On that last day, unfaithful servants will be sorry. You see, that's why the other day, certain men came to Jesus, certain unfaithful servants came to him and said that, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not work miracles in your name? And the Lord will say, get deep behind me. You workers of iniquity, I never knew you. So you see, in, the, in God's kingdom, there are only two kinds of servants. There are faithful servants and there are unfaithful servants. There are faithful servants and there are unfaithful servants. And it will be dangerous and disastrous on that day for unfaithful servants. Now, when you read about all of the verses that talks about unfaithful servants, God uses harsh descriptions for them. For example, in the verse that we just read, the, the Bible tells us, I think in the verse, let me start from verse 46. It says, Blessed is the servant whose master, when he comes, will find him doing so. Assuredly, I'll say to you, he will make him ruler over all things. But if that evil servant says in his heart, if that evil servant, so in God's sight, unfaithful servants are evil servants. This is how God describes it. Say, if that evil servant. So, if you're in God's kingdom, and you say that you're a servant in his kingdom, and you're saying that you're in a marriage union with him, and you're unfaithful in that marriage union, that is what he calls you. He says, you're an evil servant. It's not an easy matter. Now, in the verse I just quoted, he said that, get thee behind me, you workers of iniquity. So, unfaithful servants are called evil servants. They are called workers of iniquity evil servants and workers of iniquity. Now, in the parable of the talents, the Lord called them, he said that, those wicked and slothful servants, the, the guy who buried his one talent, that's what God called him. He said, he called him a wicked and slothful servant. So, unfaithful servants are called evil servants, workers of iniquity, wicked and slothful servants. That is how God is describing unfaithful servants. I pray, may we escape the sin of unfaithfulness. May we, may we, may we not weep on the last day. May we not be cast into the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, may we not end there because of unfaithfulness. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Reason number three, faithfulness is the master key to multiplication. Faithfulness is the master key to multiplication. We are going to read the same verse again, Matthew 24. Now this time we'll look at 45 and 47 to 47. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all goods. I will make him ruler over all goods. He will make him ruler over all goods. Now, one thing you must understand, if you are in the kingdom of God, is that God has many goods. God has many goods. In the parable of the talent, when he gave one five, and he gave one two, and he gave one one, his talents didn't finish. Hallelujah. So God has many goods. 
But he doesn't give to anyone all of the goods that he has planned and destined for him to have at a go. No, that's not how God operates. There are many dealings of the Spirit, but God doesn't introduce us to all of the dealings of the Spirit at a go. In fact, it is only Jesus that it is said of, I think John 3, 34, that to whom the Spirit was given without measure. So it was only Jesus that the dealings of the Spirit was given without measure. To all other men, the dealings of the Spirit was given with measure. How do I know this? When Elijah was going, Elijah came and said, I give me a double portion of the anointing. Which means that Elijah had a measure of the dealing of the Spirit. And when Elijah came, Elijah said, give me a double measure of that dealing of the Spirit. So no man has the fullness of the dealings of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God doesn't introduce us to the fullness of the dealings of the Spirit. Now, what ushers us into another dimension of the dealings of the Spirit is the attitude of faithfulness. He says, because you have been faithful, I shall, he shall put you in charge of all his good. Let's go to verse 47 again. 47, 24, 47, Matthew 24. Assuredly, I say to you that you make him ruler of all his goods. The number one key to multiplication in the kingdom of God is faithfulness. That's why the Bible says, it is required in stewards that the man be found faithful. It is required in stewards that the man... The number one key to elevation is faithfulness. Hallelujah. You see, that is why in 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 the archives of heaven, before the foundations of this world, in heaven, God had destined that David would become nothing but the king of all of Israel. That, that was heaven's plan before the foundations of this world. Before David came into the world, it was written in the, in the books of the, of, of the scrolls that David would become the king of all of Israel. But David did not start straight to being the king of Israel. How did David start? David started by watching over his father's few sheep. That is how David started. He started by watching over few sheep. And God said, I will cause you to be born into a family where your father shall be a shepherd and where your father will have few sheep. And I will make that your, your other brothers will be in war, but you will be the one to take care of few sheep. And I will test your faithfulness with the few sheep. I will test when the enemy comes to devour those few sheep. Will you risk your life for those few sheep? So the other day when David said that I kept watch over my father's sheep and when the lion and the bear came, I wrestled with the lion and the bear. It was God who made the lion and the bear come. God was testing that when the lion and the bear comes after the few sheep, will David wrestle with them? Will David fight to rescue the sheep? Because one day, I will put David over the entire flock of Israel and I need a man that will fight, that will wrestle, that will battle with the enemies of Israel to save them. But until you get there, I will test your faithfulness with few sheep. The level you are now, God is testing your faithfulness with few sheep. Now maybe you are handling just a Sunday school group with 10 members. That is your few sheep. And God is testing that faithfulness with the few sheep. God is saying, hey, a time is coming. A lion and a bear will come for those few sheep. What will you do? Will you stand and not care? Or you will risk your life? God looked down from heaven. And God saw the same attitude that Jesus was going to demonstrate in the New Testament in David. God saw that, look, my son, once upon a time, my son will come on this earth and he will sacrifice the life, his life for entire humanity, for all the lordship of the world. My son will sacrifice his life. I'm watching and I'm seeing, will David sacrifice his life for few sheep? Today, ask yourself that question. 
will you sacrifice your life for fellowship? It's a test of faithfulness. It's a test of faithfulness. It's a test of faithfulness. So you see, when David appeared before Goliath, and he threw his sling, and he hit Goliath on the forehead, it wasn't because of David's skill. It wasn't because of David's skill. It wasn't even because of David's anointing. It was David's reward for faithfulness to fellowship. It was a, I keep saying this because I say that, look, it is not by chance that when he, when he threw the sling, the first shot hit Goliath's head. It's not by chance. It was, a, it was a reward for his faithfulness. God is saying that you have been faithful over fellowship. So for that, I will reward you. Because you see, we have all played with, with um, catapults before. When you want to hit the target, it's not the first shot from the catapult that hits the target, true or false. So this one too, it was likely that it was not the first shot that would hit Goliath. And if the first shot had not hit Goliath, David would have been in trouble. David did not have the luxury of throwing the first sling and missing. Why? Because once you throw the first sling and you miss, the, 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 the enemy now knows your strategy. So, so Goliath would have repositioned himself in such a way that David would not be able to get him when he throws another sling. So David hitting him with the first stone was God's reward to him for being faithful to fellowship. Hallelujah. Our reward for faithfulness is multiplication. Now it's even interesting because even after David becomes king, God does not allow him to become king of all of Israel. God says that you have passed the test of the lion and the bear. You have passed the test. And I've rewarded you with Goliath. But I have to test you again. So I won't give you all of Israel. I will give you only a part. I will give you only Judah. And I will watch how you walk, we watch over God's flock in Judah. And after, after many years, after David had passed another test of faithfulness with watching over Judah, God said that it's now time for you to gain control of the whole of Israel. I pray, may our faithfulness be in leaps and bounds. I pray that may we move from one dimension of faithfulness to another dimension of faithfulness. May God multiply our flock. May God multiply our flock. He started with few sheep to the whole of Judah, to the entire of Israel. I pray that whatever it is that God has given to you, may by virtue of your faithfulness, may God cause it to multiply in the name of Jesus. May God bring to you multiplication of wealth because of faithfulness. May God bring to you multiplication of an anointing because of faithfulness. May God bring to you multiplication of joy because of faithfulness. May God bring to you multiplication of a happy marriage because of your faithfulness. May God bring to you multiplication of children because of faithfulness. The master key to, faithful, to, to multiplication is faithfulness. Hallelujah. Faithfulness is the master key. Reason number four. Your faithfulness will speak for your next generation. Your faithfulness will speak for your next generation. Let's look at Exodus 20. We'll read from verse 5 to verse 6. We'll use the NIV. It says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. 6. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. But showing love 
to a thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commandment. Now, in this verse, the Lord shows us another definition of those who are faithful to him. He says that those who love me and those who keep my commandments, they are those who are faithful to me. And God says that this is their reward. I will show love to a thousand generation of those who are faithful to me. I will show love to a thousand generation of those who are faithful unto me. Look, sometimes we are working in a certain blessing. We are working in a certain breakthrough. We are working in certain open doors. We have experienced a certain pardon. God has rescued us from certain things. And it has nothing to do with us. But it has to do with the faithfulness of a mother. It has to do with the faithfulness of a father. It has to do with the faithfulness of a grandparent. It has to be do with the faithfulness of an uncle and auntie who paid the price of faithfulness. And because of that price of faithfulness, the Lord decided to spare you and to rescue you and to bless you. It has nothing to do with you. But it has everything to do with the faithfulness of a certain generation that preceded you. He says that I will show love to a thousand generations of those who love me. I was saying that, you see, we believe in transgenerational curses, but we struggle to believe in transgenerational blessings. If you believe that your grandfather or your late grandfather can go to a certain shrine and do something, and by virtue of that thing that he has done, it will affect the whole line. Why don't you believe that your great-grandfather can also do something that will meet God and that will bless God's heart? And you say that because of the faithfulness of that grandfather, I will bless everybody that comes from your lineage. Yeah. If you believe in transgenerational curses, believe also in transgenerational blessings. And we see it scattered all over in the Bible. I say that the Levites, they failed not to have anybody that would be a priest amongst them. It's because on that day, when, when Moses came down from the mountain and the children of Israel had defiled themselves, God said, come unto me, all who want to belong to the, to, to the Lord. And it was only the tribe of, uh, of the Levites that came. And the Lord said that, slay all of those who did not come to you. And the Levites slew all of them. And this was God's promise to them. He said, because you have done this, never will there fail to be somebody who will serve in the line of the people because of what you have done. So, that, so people after them will come and they will find themselves in the line of the priesthood and they will think that there is something they have done. It is nothing they did. It was because of the sacrifice and the faithfulness and the honor that the certain generation before them did. Some of us, we are working in wealth. It has nothing to do with you. Perhaps it has to do with a certain seed that somebody in your lineage sowed some time back. And that seed is what has spoken for you. You are working in a certain breakthrough and a certain blessing because it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the certain prayers a grandmother prayed for you. When God wanted to destroy Israel and wanted to take the whole kingdom from Solomon because of his unfaithfulness, the Lord said, but for your father David, but for your father David, but for your father David, I would have taken everything from you, Solomon, but, from, but for your father David, I will spare it and I will wait. If your child also comes and he doesn't work in wisdom, then I will take it from him. So Solomon could have lost it, but God remembered the faithfulness of David and said, but for your father David. Some of us would have been destroyed, but for a certain father that stood in intercession for us. The faithfulness of a certain generation that preceded you is what he's speaking for some of us. You must be faithful now because it will speak for your children's children. It will open certain doors for them that they will never understand. So when David became king, 
He said that, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I will show kindness to because of Jonathan's faithful to me? Because of Jonathan's faithfulness to me. So Mephibosheth enjoyed and ate from the king's table. It has nothing to do with him. It had, what this, the meals he was having from the king's table had nothing to do with, own, with his own effort. It, it had to do with the faithfulness and the price that Jonathan paid. Praise the Lord. May our children enjoy because of our faithfulness. In the name of Jesus. Our last and final reason. Our faithfulness guarantees us a crown in God's kingdom. Our faithfulness guarantees us a crown in God's kingdom. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll read from verse 7 to 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4 from verse 7 to 8. He says, I have fought the good fight. This is Paul speaking. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 8. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his, his appearing. Paul was saying that I have fought the good fight of faith. Verse 7. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul was saying that I have been faithful to the faith. I have, faith, I have been faithful to the race. The race that was set before me as an apostle to the Gentiles. He was saying that I have been faithful to that race. I have been faithful to that fight. I have fought the good fight of faith. And now there is a reward that is waiting for me by virtue of holding on and being faithful to this cause. He says that now there's a store, there's in store for me the crown of righteousness. I came to tell you that your faithfulness here on earth is preparing a crown of righteousness for you one day. On the last day when you shall appear before the Lord, the Lord shall give you a crown of righteousness and it will be because of nothing, but it will be because of the faithfulness to him and to the calling and to the assignment and to what he has called you to do. The crown of righteousness is received by nothing but by faithfulness. Your faithfulness is preparing for you a certain crown. It's preparing for you a certain crown. It's interesting what Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 also says. That's my last scripture. Revelation 2.10. Watch what he also says. It says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Paul tells us that God will give us a crown of righteousness. John comes and tells us that God will give you a crown of life. There's a crown of righteousness and there's a crown of life that is waiting for us. There's a crown of righteousness and a crown of life that is waiting. God is saying, I'm watching. My eyes are moving through and fro in all the earth and I'm looking for my faithful saints. And as I'm looking, and as I'm looking, I'm preparing for them a crown. I'm preparing for them a crown. A crown of righteousness and a crown of life. May you one day receive a crown of righteousness. May you one day receive a crown of life. When you shall appear before the master, may you see your crown blazing. May you see your crown decorated with precious jewels. May you see your crown big and small waiting for you. May you not receive just one crown, but may you receive many crowns. May you receive many crowns. The day that you shall appear before the Lord, may the Lord stand up for you and may the Lord say, that good and faithful servant, this is the crown for you, for your faithfulness, for your dedication, for your service. This is the crown for you. Let's press for that crown. Let's determine to have that crown. Let's determine to, 
to have that car. Paul said, I count all things but loss. I count all things but loss. I count all things but He was seeking for that crown, that crown, that crown. I like what he said. He said that when you go back to the same verse, 2 Timothy 4, uh, let's start from verse 6. He says that, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I pray, when your time of departure comes, may you be able to say what he said in verse 7 and verse 8. When your time of departure comes, may you not be afraid. May you not be scared. May you not be timid. May you be confident in your faithfulness towards God. And may you say that God has prepared a crown of righteousness for me. God bless you. Peace and many blessings.